This is episode zero of the multiverse. Come get to know us. Welcome to the Multiverse Podcast. This is episode zero. My name is Jason Roberts, and you've got myself and a couple of the other guys who work here in this handy-dandy comic shop, friendly neighborhood shop in Hearst, Texas. And we just thought it'd be fun to have some of the conversations we have in the shop recorded so that we can share them with all of you. To start off with this very first episode, we thought it might make sense to, to have each of us introduce ourselves. And first up is going to be Scott. Hi there. I'm Scott Gilbert. I am the back issue shipping guy here on the weekends at the Multiverse. How long I've been in collecting comics, as I was saying before, about roughly the sixth grade is when I think I could really be considered a collector. And I'm 55 years old now, so I was getting them back when they were on toilet paper and they cost a nickel. You're only 55? Uh, I thought you had Action Comics number one came uh, out. Oh, God. If I, if, I, were... if I had, I wouldn't need a second job, Jason. But okay. uh, I would... <laughs> and, and I'd probably have sold it to you. So they're... Separated. Separated. Is it? Yeah. No, okay. I don't. <laughs> now, Steve's got four of them, so that's... Did you hear that there's a congressman, one of the freshman congressmen, had the National Archives bring a copy of Action, Comic number, Action Comics number one to swear in on instead of a Bible. Really? You don't have to swear in on a Bible. You can oh. swear in on anything anything else. Now, somebody, the person that told me said it was Superman number one, I have to assume if you're going to swear in on something, it's yeah. going to be action. But, yeah, one yeah. of the freshman congressmen in this round, yeah. that's what they did. Got to respect that, but also question the use of our my tax dollars going through the National Archives. Like, find that. They have comics in the yeah. National Archives? I believe I'm, they probably do. I think they have one of everything. Um but uh, can you imagine that power? Like the one time you can pull anything you want. That's right. Do, do, do I, I would fi- totally do. Do I find out there were are there aliens at Roswell, or do I touch Action Comics number one? I'm, you touch Action. Comics I'm probably going to touch Action yeah. Comics number one. Well, I'm pretty sure they kept it wrapped. Who was not actually touch it? What in the world is that over there? I don't know. Nick Cage stole the Constitution, so that was yeah. No, there you there. go. There. There you go. And I believe he owned a copy. He actually of owns. That. Yeah, he's the yeah he did. I don't yeah. know if he had to. I think his last the divorce didn't yeah, go well. That or the carpenter stole it from his house. There but was a there, thing. There was a thing he, where somebody stole Nick, Action Comics. Nick, Nick, one from Nick his house. had a. I don't know the man, but he had a bad run of some luck with his comic books, and I don't know who I'd ransom back faster, my comic books or my kids, because my kids could probably get out a window, but the comics are going to sit there. I got. You got to look at the big picture. Yeah. <laughs> You know, my kids can replace my kidney, but the comic might be able to pay for the kidney replacement. So I don't know where I fall on that. You might get a trade on a new kidney and a lesser quality action comics number one. That, so yeah, you're still in the yeah, game. As long as it's slabbed. That's right. I mean, as long as it's slabbed. Anyway. We've got a little note here about what got me into collecting comics. And for me, I, I, when I looked at this question, I started researching my first comics that I actually remembered being something that I read and kept up with. Because earlier on, you got the little three-packs, you tear into them, you read them, but those ended up being coverless or stapled up on your wall. But for me, it was Marvel and two of them, Avengers 154 and Fantastic Four 164. The common theme in there is they were both, the interiors were done by George Perez. And I remember that art caught my eye before I knew 
creators. Yeah, I didn't know that George Perez didn't draw every comic on the planet yet. yet. Or, yeah, I didn't read any of that. And then years later, because I was a, I was a Marvel zombie for many years, but Quite years right. later, I saw George Perez on New Teen Titans twenty three, and he did the cover of a Justice League JSA JLA crossover, which I think is two eighteen or two nineteen. Forgive me, I don't have those notes from me, but I can say that. George Perez art initially roped me in to the comics, and it, uh, regretfully, it was probably years later before I had a deeper appreciation of art styles and creative talent. But what fascinated the team books fascinated me. Captain America, Iron Man running around. You, know, you watch Super Friends back in the '70s, and that all made sense because on TV. But sitting there reading it, you hadn't hadn't seen anything like that. So that's what grabbed me and kept running. Plus, you got all the superheroes that you want to see in one comic for your... Or heroes you didn't know who they were. I didn't know yeah. who the Scarlet Witch or Vision yeah. were at that particular moment in time. I knew Captain America because I had the Mego figure, and I still can't find that shield. I lost that early on. But those <laughs> Dixie Cup tops really worked out good. You could tape that on an arm and color it. So that's how I got by. Where did you get your comics from? Um... On Sunday, this add to the story. On Sundays, my father would take my sister and I to the local 7-Eleven here in Hearst, and we were allowed to get one Slurpee. At the time, they were handing out the Marvel Slurpee cups. One item we could read: comic book, magazine, whatever, and then a pack of bubblegum cards. So it was. I was getting my comics off the spinner rack. It would be. Wouldn't it be until my. 13th or 14th birthday a couple of years later that I even knew of a comic shop or what the freestanding store can you know could offer you right and here in Hearst we didn't have a proper one until my sophomore year in high school we had a little store up the street that sold back issues but magic tricks as well you couldn't get new issues there but when I stumbled into the first comic store where you had all the new issues and all the back issues i just want to look at my parents and go you can leave me here i don't need i'll, I'll be right here first time i bought bags didn't know about bags hmm. because they didn't they didn't have them yeah they, right. there were no backing boards back then right and all they had were long boxes with the dreaded back cardboard back that would sit in the slot so you could expand your collection as it filled the box but those never held more than about 10 before it just collapsed over that was the design they got rid of quickly but that's how i got my comics until i found a proper comic store did some mail order subscriptions but right those always came creased i like the, the you get that you you hear a story like that and then you get that flashback because we all had a part of that to some degree. So you're mentioning 7-Eleven and you're mentioning Slurpee Cups and things like that. Now all of a sudden I'm flashbacking without the benefit of LSD. <laughs> or am I? No. And I can remember that. I remember spinner racks. I don't remember interacting with them. I remember getting money for trading cards because I had a ridiculously huge Star Wars trading card collection. Some of them had the red band. Some of them had the yellow band. Mm. The blue backing. for each, yes. The blue. Each and the, you know. It's like volume one, volume two. Yeah. yeah. And I remember having a Slurpee cup because the character that was on the Slurpee cup was Mr. Mixia Spitlick. And I had no idea who that was until years and years later because I wasn't really uh, a DC superhero kid as far as comics 
go. I wish I had that cup now because thanks to um, Gilbert Gottfried on the Mm -hmm. the Superman cartoon, that that, that character cranks me up. But yeah, it's that sort of flash. Oh yeah, 7-Eleven, Slurpee, trading cards, comics, fun. It's it's funny what you're... What you remember about those first cups? I remember my first one was Quicksilver, and I didn't know what the heck that was. Then the right. second one I remember was Man Thing, and I, I, I was going, "What do I need to do to get a Spider-Man? <laughs> <laughs> what, what do I need to? Because I, I don't know who either one of these guys are." Yeah, and, and it wasn't like the cups told you anything. They, they, you know, they, on the back there would be the character reciting something, but it never told me, "Hey, I'm this universe's version of the Flash." And right. This universe's Swamp Thing. I wouldn't have known who Swamp Thing is either, but I just remember looking at those going, Spider-Man, Captain America? And, but that was the hook. Right. To get you, keep you going back. you got this... The, see, usually I can rattle that name off. Yeah, Mixel... Mixel Spitlick. Yeah. That. Um, but I've got to think about Gilbert... God, again, Gilbert Gottfried explaining how to pronounce the name from that card. Mix, and then the little picture of the bowl, I think, mm-hmm. and a spoon. Yes, and spit, and then lick. Creepy old man with a bowler hat. What the hell is that? that? that, yeah. anyway. But yeah. that's pronounced differently than the Super Friends did it. Super Friends pronounced it slightly differently than that. I don't remember the character being in Super Friends. It's just Yeah. I remember. I've, that's how I always pronounced it. That's the only way I knew it to do yeah, it. I know. It makes you spit like. But can you say it backwards? I cannot. No. But I do want to take a moment. You've been talking a whole lot, but you haven't really introduced yourself. I mean, uh, there's a reason for no, that. Oh, there's, there's a reason no, for that. No, there's no reason for because that. Because there's an FBI van that just pulled up. Are you having to go out the back again? Because that's uh, annoying. I think they're getting wise to that. I'm Stephen. And yeah, now I'm freezing. Because how, long, how long have you been collecting comics? How long have I been collecting comics? When did you start? Okay. the I remember being a kid growing up in Florida because all the South Floridians sound like this. That's a joke that never gets old. Um, Originally, y'all did. At some depends on when. Maybe yeah, that's a different. I guess the word originally would. What's the definition of that? What's the definition? The guys on the boats. Guys on the boat. There you go. I did not have the experience of going into a Seven Eleven and buying comics or anything like that. What I had was there was a church called Saint Bernadette. I don't know if it's still there or not. This would for, for anyone listening to this who happens to live near Hollywood, Florida, uh, which is where I was born, if St. Bernadette's is still there, say hello for me. They used to have a fair, and it was one of these very low-key, someone had hand-built a train track so the kids could go around on a train. None of this stuff is up to code. This is all rusty nails. Well, we didn't have codes and, back, uh, back then. And Elmer's glue that, and plywood yeah, and stuff. I, mean, I rode in the back up. On the, in the windowsill of, of the family Lincoln, oh, exactly. and uh, I thought Absolutely. it was great because the vibration of the speaker would oh, blow yeah. you to sleep. These were the great old days, and there was always somebody there selling bundles of comics for you get 20, 20 comics for a buck or so, whatever it was. And that was where my my parents, my dad in particular, would invariably grab one of these things. Oh, that'd be great. The kid would like to read this. And what I would always seem to end up with are these really strange DC war comics. Haunted Tank <laughs> and this, the Zombie Brigade or the, that story of the... Creature Commando. The GI in? who's been stranded on an island only to find out that all the Japanese soldiers are now zombies and they're trying to... Or, or variations on a theme. So that was my exposure to, to, to comics was... Like, this is weird. This is very weird strange. But the bug got me 
in June of 1982 because I just moved to England and I'm finding my feet and my mom and I were living with my granddad at the time. And my granddad, who's retired, he was in his very early 80s, and he used to, as many English people do, would go into town to go to the pub. And that's how he would spend the day. Not kidding. <laughs> and he, would, he took me with him. And it, the pub in Letchworth, which is where I grew up, which if you've seen the Simon Pegg, Edgar Wright movie, The World's End, yes. that's where they filmed it. And the pub that my granddad used to go to is the Black Squirrel. I think it's the Beehive in the World's End. Okay. And he would go in there and start knocking them back. And there was a lounge and a bar. And children couldn't go into the bar. And they really couldn't go into the lounge. But the bartender knew my granddad. And he was like, no, it's okay. As long as he, as long as he sits next to the emergency exit and keeps quiet. So if any cops or inspectors come in, he can give my granddad the nod and I'll run out the um, emergency <laughs> exit. But this one day we went down there and before we went to the pub, my grand, we were outside a news agent called WH Smith's and my granddad, he gave me a pound, a pound note. And he said, why don't you go in and get yourself some comics and some sweets and stuff like this. Now, my granddad's mind used to like a pound. I should have walked out of there with a complete Encyclopedia Britannica, mm. Action Comics number one. Yeah, a couple of them just... Yeah, exactly. Shares in, in uh, um, Toblerone or whatever. Yeah. And I came out with four comics because that's the day that I discovered that unlike the newspaper shop that was on the council estate that we had moved to, and th there's a whole other show in British comics, and, and yeah, we'll it's funny because we, we were talking about that. Um, but anyway, I, they had a big stack of American monthlies. And I was like, the, the, these were all 60 cents, I think. But they had a UK price in very tiny letters underneath the American price of UK 25p. And I was like, I can get four of these, and, which I did. And I still have them. And I remember walking out. My granddad said, oh, what'd you get? What'd you get? And I'm like, I got these. A big smile on my face. That's all you got? What? And he was really pissed off and upset about that. But yeah, there were four Marvels. It was Uncanny X-Men issue 160, which is the issue that introduced... It didn't introduce Ileana Rasputin, but it's the issue where Ileana Rasputin goes to limbo for yes. the first time. And Brent it, Anders drew that? Brent, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yes. Anders, Brent yeah. Anderson, yes, exactly. Anderson. Exactly. Anderson drew that, yes. And it's Belasco... And it, they, the, find, they find teenager. Iliana yeah, the and the, yes. the X Men go down and uh, do you know this? Oh, this no, is, it's just shocking. The you're coming up with this on the top of your head. The artist and the storyline still. <laughs> oh, and we're well, just at the top well, of the iceberg. It, here. It, it was the middle. It was in the middle of that X Men brood story run because that started X Men Uncanny One Fifty Four. Yes, that's right. Dracula. Yes, yeah, it was, yes, Dracula we just had to drop all Dracula of this. Thing. Yes. All yes. the background I came to fill in later, but <laughs> okay. this yes. is my first experience with the X Men. I have no familiarity with them whatsoever. The reason why I bought the comic is the cover, because it's got this giant skewed perspective, this giant hand, which is Belasco the Demon, and all these small versions of the X-Men are fighting this huge hand. And for some reason, I was like, oh, there's a blue guy that looks like a 
a devil and some guy with metal prongs sticking out of the back of his hand and some guy made out of metal and, and all this kind of stuff. And that is the issue introduces Limbo and it's the issue that sets up decades of storytelling for this character, Ileana Rasputin. Because they're trying to, at the end, they're trying to escape Limbo and Kitty Pride is pulling her through the portal and she loses her for a second and then, oh no, I've got her again and pull and they pull her through and she comes out five six years she's old teenager she's now. a teenager she, she, now. Yeah, she left it she yeah. went in she was a, like five six years old and she comes out she's a teenager and you've got this it, it turns out she has spent now half her life in in limbo and there's that great it's a great sort of atmosphere chris claremont was really good at those cliffhangery endings hmm. where she's asleep little snowflake as colossus calls her guys for memory and she's got this medallion in her hand and I guess you, you learn that as she gets a little bit older and a little bit older, these mystical bloodstones are going to appear in this amulet and she will like aspire to a great destiny yeah. or something like that. And, it's, oh, and then we found out many yeah. years, several years later. In, but yeah, so anyway, Uncanny X-Men 160, Incredible Hulk issue 274, which was really strange because my familiarity with Hulk was all about Bill Bixby and Lou Frigno. I knew who the Hulk was. Yeah. I had a Mego doll. You mentioned yeah. Mego. I had a Mego Hulk, which is funny years later to see what those stinkers at Twisted Toy Fair, Toy yeah, Fair Theatre would do with that. We could do a whole thing. episode on that yeah. as well. Why is the Hulk speaking David Banner? And why is he uh, not called David Banner? Uh, so it's this kind of stuff. Hmm. Um, and so that that was odd. Iron Man, Invincible Iron Man, number issue 161. And I can remember the strap line on the cover because it's a split cover. You've got Iron Man holding up what appears to be a vault door with water pouring out. And the copy on it on his side is Iron Man's in deep trouble. And on the other half of the, the cover is Moon Knight, this, who I don't know who the hell Moon Knight is, but this guy in a white Batman suit. So, and only Moon Knight can save him. And I was like, I know who Iron Man is because I remember the cartoon, Tony Stark makes you feel he's the cool exec with the heart of steel. And why weren't you singing? Because <laughs> I, I don't know those. I know that Captain America throws Captain his mighty America shield. Captain America throws his mighty shield. shield. And, uh, and all who chose to oppose his shield, shield must yield. Yep, yeah, there, we there we go. You don't remember the Iron Man one, though. I didn't get, around here they didn't show Iron Man. No. And they didn't show the Avengers. But, so I got Spider-Man. I got Captain America and I got Hulk. Ah. So I got the... See, we got Spider-Man, Iron Man, and the Submariner. So you never knew there was a Submariner. I saw Submariner one. Yeah. I, every once in a while we'd get a little bit of that. It, it would bleed over. Yes. So we, I saw Submariner. I never saw an Iron Man one. I didn't know an Avengers existed. They did a couple because I remember... Years later, they they did Avengers four where they found Cap in the iceberg, okay. Okay. and I think they did three, but I think that one didn't. Imagine these days saying something that the Avengers did on TV didn't grab anyone's attention. That that's funny. It, it is because they didn't know who Thor was, or and yeah. I think there was well, a this Thor, will never sell. I think there was a Thor cartoon mixed in there too. Yes, I, think there I, was. I remember the Thor yes, cartoon, but I never saw that. And that was a case of Hanna Barbera was beating everybody with their DC Warner Brothers because it was all animated and it moved 
And whatever Marvel was trying to do, if they took snapshot, it looked like the first season of South Park, but worse. <laughs> yes, that's exactly. Uh, that's, and, that is exactly. Yeah, and, they, and yeah, I just didn't. I just remember the Hulk's mouth when it would move, start real thin, and then just open up, just jump wide. And I was yeah. like, that's that's not what mouths so do. And <laughs> no, and it's one of those things where because I found here. Well, let's jump back into that. The fourth book was Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man, issue 69, second appearance of Cloak, Cloak and, and Dagger. Dagger. Yes. Yeah. And it's got that great... Oh, what's they're, his name? Was it... Well, Bill Mantello... did the cover. Bill Mantello wrote it. Yeah. Mantello or... No, it, Bill Mantello, yeah. No, I'm thinking of the cover because it was a guy who... I think, like, every other cover in that... At that time, this guy just used to... He could zing them out really fast. Really high-quality stuff. But anyway, yeah. And, I'll find uh, it. If only I had a device that worked like I a true pursuit. But, and, the, oh. but, and so it's Cloak and Dagger. This is interesting. It's a, it's a guy who's made of darkness. And a, and a cute blonde girl made of light. This is amazing. You know, so anyway, so that Ed, was Ed, Ed Hannigan. Yes. yes, thank you. Sorry. Which, which, look, which, looking at the cover, looks a lot like Frank Miller... It's Miller-ish, yeah, it does. where it's got the shadows and oh, absolutely. Because I know Miller had done some Spider-Man covers about that time, like the he, annual. Yes, he was on Daredevil at that point. Yeah. But he, they, they had Frank Miller's hot. Let's have him do random covers. Those Doctor Strange. That's a whole other uh, that, rabbit yeah, hole but, we can go down. But just I'll close this one out no. because otherwise it's going to turn into the Stephen Remembers show. Those four comics, and that was it. There was, and the next month, because. American monthlies, because of the distribution system in England at the time, they would have a bundle. And I learned this because I knew a kid whose dad worked in like a distribution center for magazines, periodical. And they would get a bundle and it would be one copy of everything that they printed that month. Hmm. And they would bundle it into a package and news agents would say, oh, I'll have one of those. And, but they would only get one copy of each. So here I am, like, wow, this is that X-Men. What the heck is I'm going to follow that for sure? This Iron Man? Oh, absolutely. It was part one of a two-part story. Got to get the second part of that. The next month comes along. I go into the store. They don't have those because somebody else has bought those. Instead, the next month, I've got an introduction to John Byrne on Fantastic Four. Mm -hmm. I've got an introduction to... I think it was Ghost Rider. The, the, the significance of those numbers doesn't weigh on me too much. But what I will say is one of the comics that I picked up was actually Frank Miller's last Daredevil issue. I think it's 191. Yeah. It's yeah. Roulette. And we were talking the other day about was there one book that hooked you? Oh, this is there's no turning back. That would be it. Wait, By, which one was this? I think it's Daredevil issue 191. It's his last issue... In his first run, this is not counting Born Again, and he wrote and he drew it, and it's called Roulette, and it involves, I don't have any of the backstory, all I know is that there's this guy named Daredevil and this villain named Bullseye, and Bullseye's yes. been crippled, and he's in a, hospital bed, in a hospital bed, and Daredevil is telling him a story about his interactions as a lawyer named Matt Murdock, with this kid named Chucky. That's the one. That cover, just to this day, that, that's the cover that get, gets me. And as he's telling this story, he's playing Russian roulette. Hmm. And now I'm 10. 
impression. <laughs> and it's this. That in, the, in 20 pages or whatever it is, it's crime, drugs, violence, suicide. What the... And, and it ends, I won't spoil the ending because nobody should ever have that particular issue's ending spoiled. But that was like, oh, that was something. Yeah. Um, throw the book down. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> I'm going to pick it back up and read it again, but throw it back down. I don't know I'm, how I feel I'm going to hide it so my mom doesn't see it, doesn't doesn't know I'm exposed <laughs> to this already. It's almost like a Playboy. You're sticking it under there. and yeah. It's that episode of Friends where Joe Tribbiani is, I think he's reading The Shining, and he keeps a copy of the paperback in the freezer. <laughs> it's too afraid. But anyway, so that was it. That was, and yeah, much like yourself, Scott, that became... A Marvel zombie. That was yeah. that. The eighties was absolutely dominated by Marvel because of that. What about you, sir? I guess I didn't do that. So I was really sick as a kid. I had a I had a long bout with this appendicitis thing when when I was in uh, third grade. They couldn't figure out what it was. So it's a long story on that one. But I started getting comics like when I was sickly. Like I was sick a bunch, and I remember. Early ones, I wasn't collecting at this time. The early ones that I had, I had the uh, Flash Gordon movie adaptation, basically. So I think there were like four issues, Flash Gordon movie adaptation, various Superman books. I was always a superhero kid. Like, I I grew up with, like, my mom made me capes. My mom would sew, and she Mm -hmm. made me capes. And I had a kindergarten teacher tell her that that I, I may need to see a psychologist because I, I didn't know exactly who I was. I kept saying that I was Superman, and she was like, no, he's just got an imagination. It's okay. I did make her sew a pocket into the back because I was very worried about Clark Kent's clothes and what happened. She said, oh, there's a pocket in the cape. And I was like, there's not a pocket in my cape. So, <laughs> so as a kid, I was always a superhero like, kid. Makes no, all the sense because, in the world. Yeah, that's makes fantastic. All the sense in the world. Yeah, that's it. So that was that. But Collecting comics, I, it didn't dawn on me that was a possibility until I was older. And I was in seventh grade, I remember. Um, I was on a trip, a, a, a church trip, and we stopped. And we all had some money we could spend. And I go into, I think it was in an airport, actually. And bat, the new Batman movie was coming out, the 1989 Batman movie. And it happens that John Byrne and Jim Apero were on Batman at that time. So I ended up picking up the mini deaths of Batman, the second issue, not the first issue. The first issue is this crazy silent issue that everybody just was falling all over themselves about. And I never got a copy. I literally, to this day, I haven't had a copy of that book. It was Batman 433. But the one that I got was this cover with Batman, lots of different Batmans on morgue slabs. And it was Batman 434. And I still remember just seeing that thing. Batman dies? How does he die so many times? So I pick up the book and find out what's going on. And I was hooked. And then I was like, well, I wonder what the Superman book is with that. And then, so I picked up Batman. I picked up Superman. I picked up, I'm a pretty big DC fan. So I didn't do a ton of Marvel. It, it would take years for me to get to Marvel. I didn't get to Marvel until buying Marvel books. I didn't buy Marvel comics until Bendis X-Men. No, not Bendis X-Men. Bendis Avengers, New Avengers. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. I did a hop. Yeah. I think I I bought some trades along the way. Because I think that, I can't remember what was going on during this time. There was, at that point, like, Brubaker was on Cap. 
I think. And then there was, and that was just an extraordinary run to me. I, I thought that was the mm-hmm. most amazing thing yeah. I've ever read, I've ever seen. The artwork in there just blew my mind. So that's, it took me a long time to get to Marvel. And I'm still way more of a DC fan than a Marvel fan, though I, I do love Captain America. I always have. And I, mainly because of the cartoon where he threw his mighty shield. Well, yes. Yeah. And then I was the ultimate 90s comic collector. Like I was, I didn't think I was going to retire from my comic collection like many of the people in the 90s <laughs> did, but I did love it. And I would go, I grew up in Plano and there you could ride your we could ride our bike in the neighborhood without going on any major streets to baseball fever which was a baseball card shop that had comics and the sort of amount of comics they had was like this tiny little rack like the where we put our last week issues over mm-hmm. here that's that was their whole comic section right. at the time and you could buy bags and boards. And I remember thinking, oh, yeah, it's impor- it would be important to save these, so I should get these bags and boards. Right. But they were expensive, uh-huh. especially for the time. It was like 25 cents even then or something, uh-huh. which is ironic because we still only charge 25 cents for the things. <laughs> Maybe we should rethink that. Huh. But, but then I found out that this place over by the mall, Bob's, they bagged and boarded the comics for you, and they, don't char- they didn't charge extra if, you, if it was if you had a sub with them. And I was like, well, I'm doing that. So I signed up with Bob's and I got my comics from them. And that's what we do here at this shop, right? We bag and board all the books because it was a big enough deal to me when I was a kid that I would like make my parents drive me across town Mm -hmm. to get books from there because I got the free bags and boards. Right. So, I figured there's got to be some people that that's a big deal to. So we bag and board everything. It's well, and I can flesh that out yeah. because um, years. So now we're looking at, uh, gosh, we're probably looking at like 1987, 88. Um, when did Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles start? The comic. Okay. So. Eastman's first run was about 85, 84. Okay. Be- because I picked up issue two, the first edition. Okay. Here, just up the road from me. It's funny. We, if you're in Hearst, Texas, there's a road called Melbourne that's held just about every comic book shop that's ever been in Hearst, and it's not even a main drag, but just up the road where my first job was, I got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number two. Okay. And I got it because another friend of mine picked up issue one and said this is crazy you're gonna right. love it but it was 84 85 right in there because i was it was when comic book day was on fridays okay and which makes way more sense by the well, way yeah I, I think there was also some maneuvering around because movies were released on a certain day for mm-hmm. home use but I, I remember because i was in the marching band and i had one hour from the end of class to get my uniform on and go back to school. But on Fridays, I would almost run late because I had to get my comic books. Priorities. Yeah, it is priorities. And go back. And our band had this goofy rule that you couldn't be in half uniform. So you either had to have the full thing on with the hat. Right. If you're out in public. or So I couldn't change in the car. Long story, but 84, 85 is when that came out. The magazine size... I don't know, I don't remember if it was a monthly from issue one to two or 
because I know there's some times where they were behind on production schedules. So if you're trying to nail down the time, yeah, I am because I had year, years later. It might have been earlier. My memory just isn't that precise. But there there came a point when having in, infected several of my friends with the comic collecting bug, okay, where we had the benefit of living in a town that was on one of the train lines that were going to London. So as a teenager, we would go into, jump on the train and we'd go into London. And there was this wonderful, you had Virgin Comics, Richard Branson's Virgin Comics, which was a store within the larger Virgin Megastore on Oxford Street, Forbidden Planet, around the corner from that on Denmark Street, and then you've got Comic Showcase on Neal Street. Basically, what I'm getting at is that these three fantastic comic book stores are all within a couple of minutes walking distance of each other. And I, but Virgin Comics would bag and board all of their comics. Forbidden Planet Comic Showcase didn't. So when we went down there, we always went to Virgin first. Mm. And then try and fill up those holes in what you were reading at that time. And then whatever they didn't have, then we'd go to Forbidden Planet and then fill it. And then whatever they didn't have, then we would go over to Comic Showcase or something like that. But the reason why I asked about the Ninja Turtles is because I remember being at Virgin Comics when they had gotten a delivery and one of the guys who worked there opened the box, pulled a book out, and said, and I'm butchering the accent here, but it, it's close enough. For those people who know this accent, it's close enough, I think, to, to get the job done. He opens this box and he pulls his book in here. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Who the bloody hell's going to buy this? <laughs> and so I don't know if it had just come out or if they had just... I don't know, I don't know what the details are, but that's... Because I remember looking at this guy going... Teenage Mutant Ninja... Yeah, no thank you. I'll have X-Men. Please. Oh, no. You know. Yeah. So, yeah. You yeah. could have had that. So, I could have had that. Yeah. Um, and instead, I laid down money for uh, my first trade paperback uh, collection. Because that was another thing. Wait a minute. They collect these in books? This is fantastic. Um, having uh, now been become acquainted with uh, Wolverine, it was the Claremont Miller miniseries hmm. that they'd put together in in what would then be what we know now as, as a trade paperback and it's got that great miller cover where it's wolverine fighting i don't know 50 ninjas and it's like an arm and a leg and it's i think it's a white cover and yeah it's yeah, this yeah. huge bundle of arms and legs and knives and swords and claws and throwing stars and oh yeah and it was probably like 6.95 and the British price would it probably cost me like four pounds or something like that with the exchange rate. We're talking about shops that bag and boards. It's a nice thing to do. It, it, it is, and it also dictated where I put my subscription. But as far as looking back historically over the collection hobby, mm. the first time I remember backing boards, and I and I know they weren't around when I worked at the shop in high school was when Valiant came out and Dr. Solar number one the shop owner put the combination together the bag and the board because it had a coupon in it and it was going to be something really you wanted the book flat and, I, and that was the first time I ever remember that the bag wasn't good enough 
<laughs> to preserve right. your and okay. and yep. and I even remember asking how much is for a bundle of bad boards? And he was like, oh, we don't have them yet. I only got five of these because I don't know if they're supposed to be acid proof and all of this other right. stuff. And so there was a, still to this day, there's a large chunk of my collection I haven't gotten to rebag and board because I have a mortgage to pay and <laughs> it would be quite pricey. But it's interesting to listen to Jason talk. You know, cause there's, a, there's a slight age difference between you and I and a little bit greater between Jason and I. But his entire experience with the hobby has always been, this is an odd met, meter or metric to yeah. measure it by, but bags and boards were always a part right. of his world. But when, but I first, when I first started, I didn't know... But when you went to a shop, probably... Well, I, went to, I didn't know that they were like special boards. The first, my first attempt at, at using boards was I got a poster board and started cutting, cutting it into the shape. Okay, yeah, the, I... I, I yeah, like I tried to do that because there were a couple of comics that I just loved, and I didn't want them to get all beat up because I had that experience. I beat up a bunch of my books. As so, we all did. Yeah. yeah. We didn't know. No. Oh, yeah. You have the... There would be... Oh, gosh. What the heck was it? You would have these ads for... Oh, I cut out some ads back in the... Bubblicious back, yeah. gum or something, oh, yeah. and there would be like a word search... And then if you got it right, the answer was like grape. <laughs> <laughs> Drink more Ovaltine. Drink more Ovaltine, <laughs> yes. And I, I may or may not have scribbled in a couple of these. Or the you could the thing at the ad in the back where you, you could start selling grit. Oh, the, yes. The, the, the great American newspaper. Which, yeah, not from England. You don't, you can't. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> there may be one or two <laughs> comics in my collection where I'm circling the prizes that I would like to have. I'd quite like to have that transistor radio. I'd quite like to have that portable TV set. <laughs> Speaking of writing in books, specs. I have a friend who he only collected for a couple of years back in the seventh grade. But every comic he bought, he wrote first issue. Like the first <laughs> issue he bought, second issue. He did like 40 of them that way. Oh, no. And... Because he thought it was important to remember when he purchased it. And it was before. You didn't know issue numbers. Right. There, there's, there wasn't like there was a training guide when you started collecting comics back then. You could get the Overstreet Guide and maybe read that. Yeah. But it you didn't even know that existed. You found that later. But it, when I, it's fun talking to both of y'all about this because when I listen to Jason talk about his collection, I can almost see where I was in life. Yes. And then also remember, okay, he barely knows the world without backing boards. I remember when it was a long box, there was nothing. It wasn't called a long box. It's a, Here's the comic box. Yeah. This was it. And for comic book collectors, so I'm not saying we all had this contest, but can I put both of them up on my shoulder and walk around in the <laughs> store or whatever? Because that was better than working out, but we were all beer-bellied. How we're moving these boxes around and look the way we do sometimes, it's just it's amazing oh. to me. But it's... And the part of this podcast, it's fun telling these stories. And I hope people enjoy yes. listening and can relate. Even if you're starting collecting today, yes. if you keep up with it for 10 years, the medium and the way it's distributed is going to change. There was never a time that I even thought about it. I have a device I could read my comics on my phone. Yeah, sitting. Yes, sitting at the airport. I either had uh, to yes, carry at the airport. That's yeah, where you are. I had to carry a, a stack of trades with me. Oh yeah. Me. Or now I can read but Prices I, on Infinite Earths and all of its tie-in on my phone. Yeah, I, yeah, that's where something like, I was thinking about this the other day, 
I have yes, that's right. I was at my storage unit, and I have most of my graphic novels. And, most and, of for, my and for folks out there, it's not all just comics. He has household items in this storage, but it's, yeah. But the, let's be honest, okay. This why was, we have the storage? And and my wife was only too happy because if they're in the storage unit, that means they're not in the house. And okay, and I had to buy a, a comic shop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, we can't all be as fortunate yeah, as you, Jason. Can't do that. Um, save my net. once again. If I'd had that Action Comics number one, that there you go. Yeah. But I have I have a lot of graphic novels there, and, and uh, I I happened to be at storage unit the other day, making room for the inevitable return of uh, Christmas uh, decorations that will go back to the shed. And I found I saw Spider Verse, the the trade that Marvel put out collecting. I think, was it Spider-Verse? Yeah, I think it's Spider-Verse. It's the first real, hey, there's spider people from all different dimensions and stuff yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, I, I, could re- I haven't read that in ages. I should read that. And I picked this book up. And it's a heavy trade paperback. And then I thought, hang on a second. I get my phone out, quickly have a quick look at my digital comics collection. I've got the trade in digital. Form. I, don't need, I don't need the book because it's a lot easier yeah. to carry yeah, around it, my iPad. I just read it off of that. And there you go. And I feel a little guilty because I should, I prefer the paper. I prefer the tangibility of a comic book as opposed to a digital comic book. Did you read it? No, because like most things in my life at the moment, I'll think, oh, I'd love to read that. And then I get home and think, yeah, but I really should read this finished up sitting right here before I get to that. But but no, I think it's, it's, Scott, you hit it there. It's, we're passionate about this. And so, yes, we sit here and we tell stories and more conversations. And certainly the longevity of the podcast is not, back in my day, oh, let me, it's episode <laughs> 234. Stephen talks about the 80th comic book that he wrote. It was an issue of Battlestar Galactica that I found at the back of an old bookstore. <laughs> that Walt Simonson drew the cover well, of. Y'all yep. remember him from Big Coffee Mug Stain right on yeah. the cover there. Somebody was using that thing as a... Anyway, here's what's um, ridiculous. He actually knew who drew the cover yeah, of the Battlestar Galactica comic. That was real. That was a real <laughs> thing. <laughs> Once again, Adventures of Marvel Treasury Edition. Yeah, yeah, Star Wars. Uh, Whatever happened to that Chaken guy? Yeah, anyway. did he ever do anything? Did he ever do anything after that? after that? But it. We should talk about the times that Marvel and DC cross over. No, let's not. All of them. Oh, you mer- no. well, well, I'm just thinking because the Treasury Editions, we, I've got a great well, Superman well, Spider-Man Treasury Edition. That that could be it's another episode because you got to remember, we have a <laughs> differencing of opinions. And once again, it was a, as we were prepping for this last week, we learned something about Jason and his preference of a comic series that's near and dear to us that we'll follow up at some point. Yes. And this should be one of those because every time you mention crossovers... Yes, like that, I don't like Watchmen. The, Everybody else does. Say, I was going to save that for later. But I, but just, there you I go. just don't like Watchmen. But, you can hear but, why later. But <laughs> I've seen Stephen get very upset over the concept of these crossover and i don't know if it's just the batman it's company crossovers or is it the amalgam comics that they did when it was spider super Mm -hmm. or whatever that jlx and all of those hip 90 comics that the kids were and we don't have to get into that now it's because we have an agenda here look i like i love italian food i love chinese food you're not gonna put my chop suey and a slice of lasagna on the same plate. I'm going to let you know the restaurant across the street does. John loves it. Fusion. For store manager. Fusion is, uh, so so Stephen is, is not a yeah, fusion. Yeah, but that's, no. Stephen's not a 
fan of fusion no, food. No, a little sushi, a little chop suey, a little poe in a bowl. A little water That burger. would be fine. But you're not going to put... See, now I'm thinking about it, actually. Would it be so bad if you had some lasagna? fried rice is excellent. Yeah, I've had that. What I was hoping to achieve with my uh, misguided food analogy is that I don't like it when DC and Marvel meet. I have a... I'm, it's like I'm seeing two women. <laughs> Maybe that's a terrible analogy as well, but I'm going to go with that one. So there's times where I like to spend time with DC, and then there are times where I like to spend time with Marvel. I don't want them at the same time. I get, they, they satisfy different needs and urges. And There we go. There we go. No. I've laid it out. No, wow. And we won't put an explicit on this. We no, won't no, we won't. We, we won't. Now, now that red dot that's on his head, I, that might be his wife sitting across the street. I don't know. Oh, she that. knows. She, she knows. She knows how I feel about this, this particular thing. And but, amalgam? No, I don't know what you're you, talking you about. You like the amalgam no, I don't universe? Know what, nope. Nope. You guys know the chat GPT thing? Like the, the AI that will write stories. Yes. You, can, yes. you can ask it yes. questions. It'll write you a story. So I was playing with this. And, of course, I asked one of the age-old questions. Who would win in a fight between Superman and the Hulk? And it wrote me a story. It was a really lame story, but I was talking to a friend at the time. We were talking about what this thing does. And my friend was like, who do you think would win? And I was like, very clearly it's going to be Superman. And we had a whole set of reasons why. And then we went into this whole argument of, but Doomsday is basically the Hulk. And Doomsday fought to a draw, basically. They both died. We had this long story, but Chad D- GPT... It also had all the best discussions about comics or who wins in a fight between these two people out of non, out of different, different universes. I'm sorry. I, I hear something like that. And all I can think about is that line in Stand By Me where it's the who would win in a fight between Superman and Mighty Mouse. And the response that whichever one of those four yeah. boys says it is that it would be Superman. Mighty Mouse is a cartoon character. Superman is a real person. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes. And that Thank you for dropping in on the Multiverse Podcast. Please subscribe and give us a rating on your favorite podcast site. It makes a big difference to a new cast like ours. If you'd like to find us in person, our brick and mortar store is the Multiverse in Hearst, Texas. If you'd like to find us online, we are at www.multiverse.shop. See you next time.